history uh, lecture number 22, Rabbi Blyweiss. We are in the middle of discussing Shlomo HaMelech, uh, this perplexing king who we were sort of at odds with trying to figure out. On the one hand, he could have been listed um, as somebody who has no portion in the world to come, and yet because he he built Beis HaMikdash with immense enthusiasm with what we call Zrizu, Zrizu Matim in the mitzvah. So he, um, he, he's credited on a certain level. Now, we, we last talked about him. Um, he had built an educational system, the people in Nutera, on arguably one of the highest levels in all of history. Uh, they were, the, and we said this, these are the peak times of the Jewish people. When we think about Yemosa Mashiach, the days, the Messianic days, we think about the, the late days of David and the most of the lifetime of Shlomo HaMelech. Remember, the land was full of happy people. Uh, and he ruled, we said, not only this world, he ruled the upper worlds. The Maharsha has a question, he says, what is the Shlomo Melech, what does any human being need to rule demons for? Uh, ordinarily, such a thing is usur. What then was Shlomo thinking? And Shlomo certainly was motivated, L'shem Shemayim, he must have had grounds for doing this. And the answer, well, the answer is a really important and famous story that I, some of us on the Tule last week I, I alluded to. It's a story in the, in the Gemara in Gitin, Samaches, that uh, tell, tells the story of how Shlomo was midactic uh, in mitzvahs. He was somebody who didn't want to just do mitzvahs, but since mitzvahs symbolize the way we want to serve the king of kings, we want to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu, I don't want to just do any old mitzvah, I want to do it in the best possible fashion that I can. Technically, to cut the stones that were going to be used to build the base of Mikdash, one is permitted to use metal instruments, which clearly would make it easiest. If you had a metal a chisel, so you could you could you could you could smooth it out to whatever uh, specifications you like. However, we know, and I mentioned this, I think when we talked about it last. We know that there's a higher standard. For example, one of the requirements of making the Choshen Mishpat and making the putting the the twelve jewels representing the different tribes in the breastplate that the Kohen Gadol wears is not to use any metal instrument. We have a halacha like, we have a few halachas like this also. Do you know, for example, in, in, in making tzitzit, you shouldn't cut the tzitzit with metal? No, it's the same Torah. You shouldn't cut, you, you make your own tzitzit? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Mr. we'll do that, we'll do that um, hopefully sooner rather than later this year. And one of the one of the things when, when you when you get, when you cut the, the strings, um, you shouldn't cut with metal, like scissors or a knife or anything like that. People use their teeth. Sometimes they get plastic scissors if such a thing exists, if you, if you can find such a thing. Um, but better not to use metal because metal symbolizes a weapon of war, and we try to keep that far away even symbolically from the mitzvahs that we do. So to Shlomo, even though he didn't have to avoid using metal, he wanted to, and he went to great lengths to do that, and he wanted to find the same same supernatural creature that was used, that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu used to, to chisel, to cut the uh, perfect stones, the gems, the 12 stones in the Choshen Mishpat, so too Shlomo wanted to use that for the stones of the base of Mikdash. And remember what that creature is called? Shamir. The Shamir creature, which is erroneously sometimes called a worm. It's not a worm or anything that we know. It's one of those creatures. It's one of the 10 things created on Erev Shabbos that Remember the tiny size of a piece of barley, soft and, and cuddly and furry, and can cut through the hardest material in the world. Was the Tafa structure created that day? Yes. 
Right, so, so the, problem with this, the problem was that they confirmed. Say it again, say it again, Jake. Was there only one of them? There's only one Shamir, and the problem confronting Shlomo, come and scoot, surely you want to get in, or you can scoot down. The problem confronting Shlomo Melech was that the Shamir had gone missing many, many, uh, many, many uh, moons ago, and he didn't know its whereabouts, and so if you're the king, and you want to rule, and you, you rule over the uh, upper dominions, you rule over the demons, you can use the demons, L'shem Shemaim, for your own purposes, and so did Shlomo. And so he sends the Rosh, Hasanhedrin, Benayahu Ben Yehoyada, to go find the Shamir. It's a fantastic piece of I gotta tell that I'm gonna hereby do an injustice to. You really should look it up yourself. It's Gitin, the number in English is 68, Aleph and Base, it goes both, both sides of the page. He sends him off. Um, I made a reference to this on the bus during the Teul when I talked about, yeah. remember this, we talked about the wine, he traps him with the wine. Uh, there's a whole fat, fantastic story there. There's another fantastic story in terms of their journey to Yerushalayim when he's bringing Ashmedai, the king of the demons, to Jerusalem. Uh, you go look there as well, why demons have their different motivations. They also, like all creatures in Hashem's universe, are fundamentally there to serve Hashem. So you wonder, what is their, what is their function? They're here to subvert the um, foolishness of human beings. We have a lot of foolishness, you know this about us. And, uh, Definitely a lot there. A lot there. Anyway, they're there to subvert that, but they um, but they don't bother people. Apparently, Yashmanai left the people alone who were pure tzaddikim or who were unfortunate, had unfortunate situations. Uh, finally, he comes to Yerushalayim. He gives the secret. He knows the whereabouts of the Shamir, and to make a fantastic story, unfortunately short, because we're not going to do every story in the book. He, eventually, he gives the key to finding the Shamir. The Shamir is brought to Yerushalayim. Shlomo uses it in the building of the. Based on Mikdash. Was this, when, was this, uh, was this after he swallowed Shlomo Melech? This is all beforehand. This oh, is all oh. beforehand, and and the building of Beis Mikdash takes place early on in Shlomo's reign. How long would it take to, for the Shire to cut through um, one The time span, like so many other details in the Agarita, is not conveyed to us. We don't know, but apparently it was nothing. Since it's a miraculous creature, it probably took no time. And we did, but we don't. The Gemara skips those details. The uh, right. Um, and also, how did they tell the Shlomo which? Shlomo, how was what? How did they tell the uh, the, the Shamir? Shlomo, what kind of stone to cut? How to cut it? Um, if you're Shlomo Melech, Shlomo Melech had Nevoah, had abilities. He, was, he could speak to animals. Remember, he, the trees told him how to build the base of Mikdash. He adjudicated, he, he knew everything. He certainly had no problem manipulating the Shamir to his exact uh, plan. Now, um, right, all of this is before you're ahead of me because I'm going to tell the story about what happened to Shlomo at the very end with Ashmedai, the king of the demons. But um, we have to realize Chazal were very, very critical of Shlomo HaMelech. I just gave you a bit of it. Uh, I mentioned that he's worthy the he's worthy of being listed with the three kings and the four commoners. Do you know who those are? It's a famous it's a mission in Sanhedrin. Isn't that wild? Shlomo HaMelech himself was worthy. Who do we we said this last week? Who are the three kings? Who are the three kings that should that, that actually did make the list? Yeravam Bet if you don't know these names, take note because we're gonna be encountering all of them and Oh, oh, you remember the email? We sent that back. So it was Yeravim ben Nevat, Achav, and Menashe. And then the four commoners are Bilam. And we've met we've met a couple of them. They're Bilam. They are um, Doeg Adomi. Remember Doeg who, who reveals the uh, reveals to Shaul the, 
that what happens at Dovid's hiding in Nov and he kills all the all the Kohanim of Nov. If you remember that episode, there was Achisofel. Remember Achisofel? Who killed himself in the end? We we, we met we met many of these people. And um, another figure that we're gonna meet within the next couple of weeks, Gehazi, the, the assistant to Elisha the Prophet. So those are those are the seven that Ainal Khilaglamaba, what's interesting about them long since I mentioned them right now. Was that? No, the Medrash says that he could have been and would have been, but he built the base of Mikdash with enthusiasm, and therefore he wasn't on the list. He would have been because of But I, what I haven't said yet, and what we're about to say now, why Shlomo? Why were Chazal so incredibly critical of Shlomo? First, let me just let me just say about that list. That list is mistaken. People get mistaken all kinds of things. People mistake the list as a list of the greatest villains in all of history. That's not true. Actually, what's the common denominator of all of those people is they're all great human beings with great innate potential who, because of their potential, they let a Kaddish Baruch Hu down. Meaning they made important mistakes they really should have known better. And because of that, in fact, in the words of the Gemara Sanhedrin, it says by Ahav, the king Ahav, translated in English as Ahab, Jezebel's husband, Yezebel's husband. So um, Ahab Shokul Haya. The Gemara says Ahab was actually so immensely bad, he was also so immensely good that he was exactly on a, on a relative scale equal in his, in, his, in, his, in his extreme goodness and extreme badness. He's pretty bad. So. And he's extremely good. And the badness is, is more obvious. The goodness we need to uncover. We'll do all that also within the next few weeks. Ahab is one of the more colorful figures. We'll get to that. And Shlomo really was worthy of being mentioned there. But, uh, but because, because of the Beis Hamikdash, what did he do? What did he do? I, I should also note, you know, with all of the greatness of Shlomo, do you ever notice this? He doesn't come up so much. We sat in our sukkahs. He's not one of the Ushpizim. I mean, he built the base of Mikdash. You'd think he would have merited being one of the Ushpizim. You'd think he'd come up a, a, a lot in Tefillah. But no, he, he's barely there at all. And when he's mentioned in Tefillah by, let's say, by Slichos, he's only there together as a secondary add-on with his father, David. <laughs> he doesn't get his own distinct mention ever. That's because everything he did, he just had to be that off of David. Well, he that's not true. That's not really true because... because entirely Right. David set the foundation, but Shlomo built it. And, and uh, I don't think you were here in our last class, but we talked about this. It was uniquely under Shlomo that um, we reached our peak period in life ever. It was, that was the highest level Klal Yisrael ever attained and has ever attained up until today and continuing all the way till Mashiach. When Mashiach comes, it allowed to do Shlomo. But that's that's a, that's a unique quality. I thought, no, I thought that the Jewish people are on a higher level um, right after they received the Torah. So we were on a higher level of spirituality, but we hadn't yet reached our full tachlis because we had been given the Torah. We were full of raw potential, but not yet having fulfilled that. It takes coming to land, conquering the land, living the land, building Yerushalayim, and finally building the base of Mikdash Hashem's own house to actually put it into practice. That's unique to Shlomo's attainments. So that's why he's, he's a man of utter extremities in both good ways and bad ways. And what I need to do right now, give me, give me a moment to do this, is explain what did he do that was so bad? He didn't convert his uh, wife. Oh, oh, okay. So 
first of all, secondary, I'll get to the punchline, which has to do with his wives. Uh, but, the first, but, but we should know the Gemara Megillah, and also St. Edwin talks about this. In Megillah, he says, it says that he transgressed three obvious, basic prohibitions that a king is not allowed to do. Gemara and St. Edwin indicates it's only two of the three. It's only two, it's two of the three. So, okay. Uh, what are they? What are the three basic things that a king is yeah. not allowed to do? Seven horses. Wives. Before the horses, the wives. How many wives is a king mission Sanhedrin? Eight, How many kings? Eighteen. Eighteen wives. Sorry, buddies. If you have any other ideas, you can, can't have that nineteenth wife. You know, no, no, no luck. Yeah, but you could have more concubines. Though. It's true. You could have concubines. Just no, just, just, Ooh, not, you know, eighteen's the limit. Eighteen's the limit. Um, for commoners, for commoners, you can have multiple wives all the way until when we, when we're at least Ashkenazim no longer permitted to have more than one wife. I mean, by the way, not that that's necessarily seen as a good thing. You remember the Mishnah Perkei says, Marban Nashim, somebody who has many wives, has a lot of witchcraft on his hand. Not a helpful thing. You don't want, don't try this at home, kids. Anyway, since what we call Tachanus, thank you, Rabbeinu Gershom about a thousand years ago, Ashkenazim and then soon enough Sephardim followed in line, um, accepted that we only take one wife, which, uh, yeah. Wait, there's Spartan. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry if anybody had Wait, there's Spartan into the 1800s. It's just the force uh, right? Yemenites. In the 1800s, there was Spartan that had. Drunk. Correct. Not all Spartan accepted the Tukhanos Rubin version. Most Spartan have, not everybody. Rabbi, I don't Even until today. <laughs> the king was a lot of, was a lot of relations with whoever he wanted, as long as she's not married. Concubine, right? No, no, no. You don't understand the concept of concubine. The idea of concubine is also, it's less formal, but it's some, a quasi-formal arrangement that's not just stopped. You can't, he can't just go and have any relations that anybody wants. He has to enter in some kind of a minimal contractual relationship. But you can have as many of them as he wants. You can. No, they have to be Jewish. I'm saying on a Jewish level, what does that mean? Um, well, once upon a time, concubinage was permitted. Um, today, the consensus in the post scheme is it's completely forbidden, so sorry again for anybody who has certain ideas. I'm uh, not allowed to do it. There is an opinion among the Akronim in the 18th century, a great rabbi by the name of Yaakov, Yaakov Emden was the sole advocate of the idea of having concubines. He felt that that was a way that men could harness their Yitzhahara. But uh, that's not an accepted view. So Shlomo had multiple wives. And uh, the Gemara is very critical of, of doing that. Um, now, why did he do that? Shlomo knows the Torah. And, and, and the Gemara says, the Gemara that I just happened to learn in Sanhedrin says, it's the reason why, in general, the Torah doesn't explain what we call the Ta'ame Mitzvahs. You ever wonder about that? Why doesn't the Torah come with an instruction manual, as it were, um, you know, with explaining the reasons behind the mitzvahs? And the Gemara, their answer is because, well, you know, by a couple mitzvahs, it did come with the instructions. In the Pasuk itself, in, the, in itself, it says, why should a king not have too many wives? Because they would they would turn his heart away and turn it towards the Bodhisattva, and that's why he can't have too many wives. And, and we saw Shlomo himself knew that and did it anyway. Better that we shouldn't know inherently what the mitzvah. Of course, you should strive to understand the reasons behind every mitzvah. But uh, Shlomo, why did Shlomo do that? So the answer seems to be he felt he was above and beyond it. He said, as Gemara says that, I will marry many wives. Not only will they not turn my heart away, but... And then you have to understand Shlomo's mindset. Here's somebody who's not like you and me. He's not like ordinary flesh and blood. He becomes king at 12. He becomes the wisest of men as a teenager. And his, his capacities are unequal to conquer the upper worlds and the lower worlds. His, his, his impact, his influence in the world is immense. 
he felt that it was just a matter of time that he was inches away from the messianic era, and that if he could bring all of humanity, as really is our dream, to bring all of humanity under the domain of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, he could actually herald the, the final Geula. And that was his motivation in marrying all these foreign women, including most famously Bas Paro, who I'm going to talk about in a moment, the daughter of Paro herself. And why is she the ultimate in foreign women? Because Egypt is described in the Torah as the depraved of the depraved, the lowliest, scudziest of all people. They have this, uh, the men just elaborate. They are guilty of the most despicable, disgusting kinds of personal behaviors. They even one of the men just says that they have something strange in Egypt. They had men actually marrying men and women actually marrying women. Can you imagine such a thing? Not in a million years. Uh, anyway, yeah, so they um, they had such institutions in uh, down in Egypt and, um, and we're supposed to stay away from that and Shlomo thought, I'm going to bring even Egypt up and elevate them and bring them back. And that day, Hashem's name will be one, one among the nations. That's his motivation and he failed. But it wasn't that he wasn't, he was, he was trying L'Shem Shemayim. It wasn't that he was interested in amassing uh, a massive harem. Nothing could be further from Shlomo's oh, intention. Oh, 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 how many? Once, I think Barak is first, then, then are you? Right, but, but isn't it, uh, is this a uh, heresy to say that uh, he's in Gohelis, he talks about uh, why he marries so many women, but it's a different reason. He says that he's testing himself, but is that not, not it's not a, It's not at odds with what I just said. Meaning, well, testing himself is also part of the motivation, but if, if he can test himself and pass, also he can bring the Geula. Right. Because they're not mutually exclusive concepts. Also, are you? Uh, how many women did he marry? Only 700. What? 700. And 300 concubines. Why does he have 300 concubines? Couldn't you have like 300 wives? There's different sources. Sometimes it's ambiguous how many, in fact, he married. Some of these numbers, sometimes when, when we're presented with large numbers, it may be what we call lustrum glusum. It might be an exaggeration. Maybe it wasn't quite so many, although it seems by many of the sources that they take the numbers quite seriously. Um, wow. You said that. You said that. You said that Shlomo Melech was humble. Extremely humble. Extremely humble. So if he was so humble, he would have thought he was on the level to marry seven. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. He felt that because the Kaddish Baruch Hu set him up in this way, that it wasn't that I, I'm so great. He's not saying that his own personal uh, arrogance. He's saying Hashem has put me in a unique position that maybe if I do this, I can make an impact in the world, and maybe that's my responsibility. And he simply erred. But the error was the Shem Shemayim. And in his defense, he did marry into Egypt, Germany. <laughs> right, he did marry in Egypt, right, fair enough. The second prohibition, the second prohibition that Shlomo was guilty of was, of course, having too many horses. A king is only allowed to have enough horses, that he, um, uh, multiple horses for his, um, for his uh, stables, for his, uh, in order for his, uh, his army to go out to war effectively. Um, but he had many more, and again, there, Rashi then indicates there in the Gemara that the problem with horses is the basic place you go for horses is Egypt, and we're not supposed to go there for related reasons as we referred before. We don't. We were Hashem deliberately brought us out of the depravity of Egypt, so we don't. We're not associated with them. And indeed, Shlomo went back to Egypt. Today you can't go to Egypt. Interesting. There is. There are three loving three. Three negative precepts, three commandments against going back to Egypt, living in Egypt, visiting maybe a different story, living in Egypt. The Rambam, the Holy Rambam himself, at the end of his life, famously lived there, and he wrote his letters. It's a very famous Indian. You know this? He wrote his letters at the end of his lifetime, signing them as follows. Harani Moshe ben Maimon, ha'over b'shlo shalavim b'chol yom. 
Here I am, the, uh, your humble servant, Moshe ben Maimon, who's transgressing three prohibitions every day. And when we get to the life of the Rambam, which is certainly a centerpiece in history, um, we'll talk about the kasha that they ask. How could the Rambam say Lashon Hara against himself in his letters? What is he doing with that? And I'm going to leave that undiscussed right now. Anyway, we can go there, we can't stay there. There are three separate pro- prohibitions about living there. Meaning, you know how you can have one prohibition that's repeated in the Torah? That's the case with living in Egypt. The third more controversial one is having too much silver and gold. In one place it indicates he had too much, in another that it indicates that he didn't violate it. Either way, either way, um, he's faulted. He's faulted. Another fault, a baskol. You know what a baskol is? A heavenly echo voice comes down and blames him. Remember the story with the two mothers? We talked yes, about that, yes. didn't we? No, we no. And that he relied too much on his own wisdom and, and, and indicated that it was because of his wisdom and maybe not Hashem's. We've not talked about that. We didn't talk about it? Yeah, we, we definitely talked about it. First day that we talked about Solomon. I think so. I think so too. Yeah, maybe some of you missed. It's the disadvantage. What I want to say to all of you, I, I get very zealous over all this material. I want you to know everything. And, and it's so much more exciting in history if you get the total suite. You'll be part of it. You'll re-experience history vicariously and it'll change your life if you really do it. So I, I really encourage you to come for everything. If you miss, also, I'm recording all of these, so you're welcome to get all the re- all the recordings and try to make it up. I think it's so much more impactful. Like when we get in the end of days, we get to the Holocaust and the establishment of the state of Israel in the modern days, it's so much more exciting when you're really in the whole sweep of history, knowing where we came and having felt vicariously that you knew you lived through Shlomo, Shlomo Melech's uh, uh, reign and his, his, the, 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 uh, the building of the Beis Mikdash and to see and to follow every step of the stage all the way to modern times, uh, you feel consequential as a Jew. Yeah? How do we get the recordings? Um, you go to my website. It doesn't work on the phone though, that's a big problem. It doesn't work? No. I think most people have, have access to them. Go to menashevlaiwaisich.com. And then go to the lecture page, and I have all my. I have. Uh, I have this series a couple of years ago posted, and soon I'll be posting these. So if you miss a class, this should be up there. I think also, also people have them. So that's that's how you can get them. Um, and I just encourage. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm really into this, not just because I like to stand up and lecture, but I, I really I really feel like I identify with all of the history. I hope I wish the same on you. Let me continue. Um, <laughs> Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is in a statement says that Shlomo would have been, been better off rather than being a king it would have been better that he, that he would just been busy cleaning sewers uh, in which case at least he would have been free of criticism this is the first I've ever heard of Shlomo being like I know, I know, negative, but Chazal, listen, I'm giving you a bunch of new sources. Here's Shmos Rabbah. Shmos Rabbah says that um, Kohelis has no figure of Kedusha. Yeah. What? And then explains, it says, it's only Shlomo's wisdom. It doesn't seem to be directly harnessing the wisdom of Hashem. That's not an accepted view. I'm just bringing, that's one view. Clearly, Kohelis' wisdom is immense. Otherwise, it wouldn't figure so prominently in things like Pirkei Avos. But um, clearly, Chazal have very, very strong um, criticisms, and the central main reason is as follows. It all began that fateful night, not only Shlomo's downfall, but the collective downfall of you and me and the entire Jewish people began that one night that Shlomo married Basparo. And even that statement alone makes you realize we live our lives, we go about our business, and we don't always realize the meta-significance of our actions. Maybe for all we know, one of us in the room is Mashiach. We don't know such things. But you know, tell them. Um, So the, 
you, you don't realize that right now could be the moment, and we should be living our lives along these lines. Who knew when Shlomo married Basparo that that would be the beginning of the downfall of Klal Yisrael, that very night that he married Basparo. Um, now, with all of his wives, the Gemara Nivamo says, he converted them first. Don't think that he married them in sin, because you know it's a major sin to inter- you know that it's an issue right to intermarry? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that he can't get intermarried, but a person who does so, do you know what the punishment for intermarriage is? Kares. Pretty serious stuff. A person who intermarries, even people have a notion, well, if the woman intermarries, it's no big deal because her kids are all Jewish, so it's, it's fine. Not true. She's Chayavis Kares. Yeah, for the kids. Yeah. The kids know, but 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 you're coming from a, from something that's really problematic to say the least. Um, okay, so in any case, Shlomo's not guilty of this. He makes sure all of them get a proper conversion. But what about relation? He actually held that there was no prohibition marriage. Do you know that there's an additional prohibition against? Is it there's additional prohibition against marrying Egyptians? But Shlomo legitimately held that that only applied to um, women marrying male Egyptians. But the men could marry female Egyptians, so he was not violating anything by marrying marrying the daughter of Paro. Take the Lohavites. Also, also, it's a related discussion, but here it's a case, we're talking about the the Mitzrim. Um, He married her, and uh, she brought her a Vodazara initially, and for many years it was clandestine, meaning she hid it really effectively, and Shlomo was not aware about it for a while. We have 700 wives that we I guess so. But she was the primary wife. She's the one we hear about a lot, and so you'd think, especially with his wisdom, that he would get he would get word Why of it. Why do the rest of these wives even feel or anything? Well, he apparently the Gemara describes also in Gitin how he made the rounds and made conjugal visits, and that each of the he women. How wealthy was Shlomo? You, who knows the Gemara I'm referring to? Barak, you know for sure. The Gemara Gitin. Oh, Mamish, you have to learn that. If you want to be a Gadotah of the Gadotahs, I don't know, there are a lot of great Gadotahs out there, but that's really one of them. The, uh, the, um, I mean, there it talks about the um, feasts that each one of them prepared every night on the off chance that that was the night that Shlomo was going to visit. It's, it's, it's uh, mind-boggling what it's described there. And what's interesting is the, the Pasuk says that initially in Shlomo's heyday, in the beginning of his reign, money was worthless. In the best possible way, it was pointless. It was like diamonds littering the uh, the dirt on the, on the street. We didn't care about it. The economy was so good. People were so collectively wealthy. There were no poor people at all. They had all the time and money to sit around and learn Torah all day long. That was how good it got. So who needed to worry about petty, mundane things like gold and silver? And, and indeed, it didn't matter to them. And then, once he mar- marries Vasparo, the uh, Pasuk indicates, and the Gemara draws this out, that the money started to matter a little bit. Meaning, she brought in, you have to realize, what's so bad about idolatry? Idolatry takes you away from Hashem and brings you into the physical world. And so, somebody who's otherwise a spiritual being, who really could care less about stuff, about thinginess, suddenly Shlomo's brought down and start, things start to matter. And that's 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 one of the uh, that's one of the intrusions. One of the one of the things that, that Basparo brings in. Um, even Shlomo's wisdom started to sour. You know, in Pirkei Avos we learn Al Techkam Harve, don't become too wise for your own good. Because I'll interpret that as saying that's partly referring to Shlomo himself. Chochma took on again under the influence of Basparo, who was a creature of this universe. Chochma started mattering. For for itself. You know, we're only supposed to be wise as well serving Hashem, not serving because, ooh, what a guy, what a guy, what a guy. You know, that we say, wow, that guy is so smart. 
but it started to matter too much on its own terms and not enough for for kiddush for for uh, avodas Hashem. Jake, without the queen of Sheba. What's that? Without the no, that's queen of Sheba. No, no, I haven't talked about her. I made a brief mention of her, but I. Shlomo is such a fascinating figure. We could be here all year just on Shlomo. So I gave, and I, I refer you, if you're interested in any of these things in more depth, um, especially right now we're holding, I give a much more in-depth year that's all posted on my on my website online and on Safer Malach, yeah, which covers this whole period. If so anyone wants to really go with the... Oh, fine, so you're looking at it. So Malachim, I have a whole thing on Malachim. Yeah, like By the way, you don't need me. You can also open up Sefer Malachim and do that, you know, with a good, with a good perush and go through Malachim itself and learn, learn a lot about it too. I mean, I'm just trying to whet your appetites. Yeah, Daniel? What did Shlomo do when he found out? When Shlomo found out, what did they have Ah, so that's the key point. That's the key point. Hold off for a second. I mean, let me get to it. What did Shlomo do when he found out about their Bodhisattva? By the way, with all of his many wives, um, there's a source that tells us that he bore at least 20,000 children. Okay? Uh, 20,000? Can you imagine the college tuition alone? Uh, and they all subtly, subtly and steadily brought in their Vodazar again. He didn't know at first. Now, what happened was his love, and this is through many, many sources that tell us that Shlomo's love for Basparo. Of 28 children of It wives. blinds it. <laughs> oh, is that right? That's true. Good math. Okay, go figure. Anyway, it's uh, we don't know if it's Lashon Guzma, if it's an exaggeration to make a point, or literal. It may be, you know, Shlomo, everything else about Shlomo is, is superlative. Why not this too? Um, Shlomo was blinded by his love for his wives, especially Basparo. More than any other wife, wife, she caused him to sin. Um, he, for example, in all the seven years that he was busy building the base of Mikdash, um, he never touched wine, he never tasted any wine. Um, and immediately the night that he celebrated, he the night he finished the base of Mikdash, he then got married. And that night, he drank wine for the first time in seven years, and there was so much revelry, there was so much celebration, it got out of hand to the point that Hashem almost destroyed Yerushalayim. You can imagine, he just finally built Hashem's own house, and Hashem immediately wants to turn and destroy Yerushalayim. Um, there's another opinion that they married at the beginning of the building, the Mason Mikdash, with, that's at odds with this source. Why? How bad could your party be that God's about to destroy a city? Well, remember when we hear these things, you know, you're on a level, you're Shlomo HaMelech, let's imagine to ourselves, right? And, and here's a person who is on an immensely high level of Kedusha. For such a person, as, as with all of our tzaddikim, Hashem expects a lot. And especially for somebody to have a, have a wild, I don't know, frat party, not that it was exactly a frat party, something like that, after building a base on Mikdash, that's worthy? That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the tone you want to set for Kali Israel? That's what that's what that's what's appropriate. I mean, even after we got the tabernacle, that's what I was going to say. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. They 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 already they were so happy that they got back. Everybody died. Right, 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 right. So you have to be careful how you celebrate a Kodesh Baruch Hu. That could hurt. The Philistines took the took the tabernacle. We got it back, and we were so happy that we were dancing and singing and singing. Bas Paro, Bas Paro. Brought Shlomo a thousand different kinds of musical instruments, a thousand musical instruments, and she did it with seeming innocence. Here, I got a present for you, Shlomo, my hubby. <laughs> Little did he know that each of them was used for a separate kind of idol worship. 
He didn't realize. They, 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 they used music in worshipping the idols. Well, obviously it's not his fault then. Right, at first it's, it's not. Like at first it's not. Hold off. You're right. So far, no, no, no iniquity on Shlomo. She then proceeded to hang over his bed a canopy that was embroidered with gems that shone like stars. So that if anybody had time with changing the clocks last night as we did, um, he didn't realize it was morning. Every time he opened his eyes, he saw the stars, or so he thought, glimmering in the sky. Uh, and, um, and so he went back to sleep. Now, there was a technical problem. Shlomo slept with the keys of the base of Mikdash under his pillow. And so Kriyashma, Neitzachama comes, Sosman, Kriyashma comes, and specifically the Korban Tomi, the morning offerings, are waiting and they don't know what to do because you can't wake, wake a king. You can't watch a king get a haircut. You can't watch a king be bathing in his natural state. You have to be careful and, and honor a king. The Kohanim did, were unable to offer their korban tamid, and they didn't know what to do. So who do you turn to in a tight situation? Mom. They go to Bathsheba, the Jewish mother to end all Jewish mothers, and she goes in, she comes stomping into Shlomo's quarters with the harshest of rebukes. She says, oh, oh, look who's sleeping. I, I don't know if she has the New York accent, but I just imagine that, you know, that's my, that's my wife. Oh, oh, look who's sleeping. You know, David, your father, you remember your father? He slept four half-hour intervals, during which time his lips would move in silent chazara of the daily learning. You, you, you're sleeping past, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Ya bum, she says to him. Right, actually, was beautiful Medrash, go look at Aishas Chayel, hold on. One interpretation, one interpretation of Aishas Chayel, the 31st chapter of Mishle that we sing every Arab Shabbos, every Lail Shabbos, one interpretation is the whole thing is Bathsheba's rebuke to Shlomo, her son. Okay, you could look this up and see well, it. Yeah, it's like fantastic. Yeah, to me, we all know how important Islam is. Yes, I, I, you know, I figured, I figured you'd appreciate this one. Was she punished for that? Um, was that? Was she no, quite the contrary. She's one of the only people that Shlomo truly fears. And uh, she puts the fear, you know, she's, she is herself, uh, without any words, she's doing it in the shame of mind, and Shlomo recognizes this. Um, and he accepts the rebuke. The Gemara goes on and says, among the most uh, devastating thing about Shlomo, that... Night, listen to this. Think about think about meta significance in all of our actions. The night that Shlomo married the daughter of Taro, <laughs> that night Gabriel, who's an angel who does a number of things, he's the um, he is our advocate in the heavens. He's 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 there for Klal Yisrael. That night, Gabriel came down and he stuck a rod, a small a little reed, a little little soft reed in the sea. And around that rod, slime amassed and grew into... Hey, nobody knows it's really famous magic. It's really important. Pivotal point in history. It grew into a little city that they call Rome. Rome, the same Romans that would rise up and become this, this, this all-encompassing empire that would ultimately come and destroy the base of Mikdash, the second temple. So that night that Shlomo, all the way back at the beginning of the first temple, what you, what you see in this is that the seeds are planted for the ultimate doom of Klal Yisrael. That action 
had such a, I think they call this the butterfly effect, yeah. such reper repercussions, such reverberations through history, that, that, that there was such a spin effect that a little reed was planted in the sea, and since nothing was done to correct this deviation, this distortion of history, that reed was permitted to go into slime, which grew into a, 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 a mound of dirt on an island, and ultimately grew into, the, into Italy. You ever wonder why Italy looks like a boot? I guess maybe there's significance to that. And Italy and, and Rome would grow out of that whole episode. Yeah, go ahead, Jay. Well, um, that was that was Rome destroyed the second basement. I know what's saying here so, is that what we can do way back when it at the, the first phase of Mikdash, right? That's how consequential his actions are. So he he said the destruction of the second base Mikdash before it was even built. Isn't that wild? Exactly, precisely worded. It's exactly right. That, that's, good. That's, said, that's that's incredible. It's very bad. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but doesn't it say in uh, Tanis uh, that? Um, that they have the whole story about how Romulus and the two. I know, I know, no, we're going to get that too. Uh, you're right, ahead of me. No, they're not contradictory. You see, it's all smooths out. Some of the things contradict each other, that's okay. You can't ask a Kashi or an Agarita. Yeah. Question. Um, it's, it's an off topic. Just shave it then. Write it down. I know, Papa, I don't want you to lose it. Write it down. We do random questions at the no, very beginning of class, right after the class. But I don't like to lose the thread. We're, 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 we've got some momentum behind, you know, wind behind our sails. I want, I want to continue and, and finish off Shlomo. We're almost done with Shlomo. Rabbi Yossi, the Tana, defends Shlomo. And now we just, we just wave some pretty heavy criticisms against Shlomo. Rabbi Yossi defends him and he says, the whole purpose is what I said before, really my source was, the whole goal was to bring Basparo under the wings of the Shechina, what's called the Kanfei HaShechina, under the wings of the Shechina. If he could be Mekadeshim Shemayim with her, if she could recognize the uh, Yichud Hashem, the unity of the Kaddish Baruch the uniqueness of Hashem, <coughs> She could have an impact back on Egypt and bring all of humanity to the uh, to the to the recognition of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. The Gemara Shabbos elaborates and says anybody who says that Shlomo sinned Eino Elatoya, we've seen this line before. It's a similar line. Um, is mistaken. What happened? What was the real dimension of his sin? By the end of their of his rule, by the end of the forty years, they had started aggressively tempting him with their idolatry, and he resisted but didn't restrain them. That was his major sin. When it says in the Pasuk that Shlomo served idolatry, it's not literal. It's because he didn't restrain them enough, he's credited as if he actually served it himself, even though the Gemara explicitly says he did not. That will set the cast for the subsequent terrible thing to happen to Kuala Yisrael after Shlomo's death. I'm thinking specifically of what? The, the, the split of Klal Yisrael, which is a split that endures till today. And ten lost tribes. The ten lost tribes. All of the, meaning, all the seeds of, of, of the calamities that are about to befall the Jewish people are planted all in this time. And it's, it's, it's so ironic because the time is one of, of utter perfection. Of the, it's the heyday of our Jewish history, and yet the seeds for, for the decline are all set in motion, are all planted and set in motion at this point. It says in his lifetime. Was that the power that led us out of that tribe to kill us in Egypt? Was it the same? You know, the power's daughter. Yes. Was it the same power that tried to. Not evidently, not evidently. Paro was a generic name that all Egyptian yeah. kings adopted. So it doesn't have to be. Sometimes it seems that these paros had longevity, had long life. But I don't think there's reason that we would connect they, them back to the them. other one. Joined the, 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 he joined the Jewish people. We're also going to meet other paros. There's a there's a famous paro yet to come called Paro Necho, 
who we're going to meet much later at the end of the first temple period. So the name was a generic name. We find that in other, like Caesar. Caesar was also used in Rome by multiple rulers to convey that was the king that's what Paro means. Shlomo now, at near the end of his rule, at the end of the 40 years, he lost almost everything. He lost royalty, he lost his riches, he lost his stature, all because of the sin, and that's all conveyed in the Pasuk near the beginning of Koheles, Ani Koheles Hayisi, Ulpan, who's in my Ulpan, Hayisi, I was, past tense, critically, Hayisi Melech, Al Yisrael I was king. I was king over the Jews in Yerushalayim, and the very straightforward deal from that is: Wait a minute, how does that work? Shlomo was king when he was twelve, and he was king for forty years, and he died at fifty-two. Do the math. When could he have done it? It must be at the very end. Sometime in that fortieth year, he was the past tense king. Somehow he was deposed. From this rulership, and that's the story. That's the story that we find in the Gemara and Sanhedrin as follows. Mar tells us initially in his heyday, he ruled over the upper worlds with the with the lower worlds, then only over the lower world, later only over Israel. We know when he ruled over the other worlds, all the nations of the world came to study with him. When we start talking, we in a month or two we'll start talking about the Greek civilization, we understand our tradition holds, at least an opinion in our tradition holds, that the original Greeks, the founders of the Greek civilization came and studied at the footsteps, at, at, at the feet of Shlomo HaMelech, and they based much of their wisdom on distorted understandings of Kohelis itself. So he lost that too, and only was king over, over Israel, over the Jews, then he lost that too, and the, and the Gemara says he only retained his bed, as it says, Hine Shlomo. Where do we say that, Pasuk? Kriyashma Lamita, we say every night. We do? We do. We hopefully do. Uh, we say every night before we go to bed, right? This is the bed of Shlomo. Then he lost that too, and in the end, he was, he only retained, some say his staff, his mate, and some say his cloak. Was that the staff and the cloak? Oh, you on today? You're good, Jake. Yeah, I was said. just gonna get to that. And other. I don't see a source for that, but since we find who remembers, some of you have been with me from the beginning. David. Do you remember Bob Mate? Yeah. David. Gary here the Mate. Remember Excalibur, Moshe Rabbeinu, and Aaron, and the staff that winds its way through history all the way from Adam. And what 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 coat are we talking about? Who originally had the coats? Who originally originally had the coat? Adam Arishon, and then it goes down. And Nimrod killed. Nimrod had it, and then Asaph kills Nimrod, and then Rivka gives it from Asaph to Yaakov, right? And gives it the coat of many colors to Joseph, right? And eventually, eventually, right? Every it all winds its way in history. It's plausible that the same coat is what Shlomo has. All these things winding down through history. Good question. Mashiach will wear it one day. Um, didn't say David. David wore his cloak. What <coughs> How did David? How did Shlomo lose it so spectacularly? So this is where the Gemara Gitin goes on and tells us the story. Ashmedai has been all these years apparently in the prison, in the under the uh, rulership of Shlomo, and the king uh, is bewildered by some psukim. The psukim indicate that demons are superior to humans, and he's confused. He doesn't understand how that could be the case. And so he asks Ashmedai, who would know, who should know, what is the source of your greatness? And Ashmedai says, I'll tell you what, I can tell you the answer, but you know, all these years you've imprisoned me in this chain. 
because of the ring that has Hashem's name written on it, take the chain off and I can really give you the answer. And so Shlomo agrees. And he takes the chain off and immediately, the Gemara says, two different gearses. The Gemara says, immediately, the uh, Ashmedai swallows the ring. And in another gear it says, Ashmedai swallows the king. Either way, he projects, he spits out Shlomo Amelech 400 Persian miles, which is the expanse of Eretz Yisrael, to the other side of the country. And you have the original evil twin story in which Ashmedai takes over, assumes Shlomo's very identity, and becomes king himself. Shlomo is reduced literally to rags. He either has his staff and some say his cloak, and Ashmedai sits on the famous throne. Shlomo goes begging door to door. He protests, I'm the king. Ani Kohelis, Haisi Melech. I'm Kohelis, I was king, and everybody slams the door. Yeah, right, buddy. And I got a, I got some, I got some swamp land in Florida to tell you to sell you. What's that? He tried. He tried, but nobody took him seriously. They put, they beat him up. They put a, they put a, a simple food, some grease him uh, next to him and left him like a beggar in the streets. And he says in the end, This is my what I'm left with. This is my portion after all my toil in the world. Remember Shlomo. Shlomo's learned everything. He's, he's amassed the greatest amount of material wealth, of success, of prosperity. And he's left, this is what I have, which is usually understood as a negative. I think I went into greater depth when I did this in Malachim. I have a twist on that. You could also read the Pasuk positively. At the, end of, at the end of days, what are we left with? We're left with the mata, a staff, which is a symbol of all continuity of Jewish history. At the end, all of my wealth is worth nothing, but the fact that I'm connected to Jewish history, to continuity, to, uh, to, 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 um, to eternity, that's really what matters. And it's a positive statement. The Ira Shashem is all that matters, like it concludes Kohelis, the book itself. The Sanhedrin gets word that there's a guy going around claiming he's Shlomo, and then somebody starts to notice what's going on with the king. It's a little peculiar these yeah. days. And they, they bring the wives in and they say, is there anything funny about the king? And they say, well, yeah, come to think of it. <laughs> he keeps coming in to all of us to you know do what husbands do with wives all the time. And it's a little bit irregular too because he also went and tried once with his mother. Ew. Right? The Gemara, the Gemara says that. So they start to get his understanding. Something's going on with the so-called king. Um, then they, they have the women do a test and they find out that he looks like the king and he sounds like the king and all the physical requirements are of the king. But one thing demons can't change, the feet. He retains chicken feet. chicken feet. They said, yeah, yeah, he's got those chicken yeah. feet. It's really funny that Shlomo's got chicken feet suddenly. But I guess they're used to miracles so they didn't seem to notice. And the Sanhedrin reinstall Shlomo. They, they get the beggar, they bring him up, they realize what's happened. Uh, they bring Shlomo back. Uh, Ashmedai flies, actually Ashmedai is a scary figure, his like wings span from the heaven to the earth. He flies away and Shlomo remains for the rest of his life in fear and that's why he surrounds his bed with 60 armed warriors at the end of the Pasuk. Um, you have 60 valiant soldiers, pay attention tonight when you're saying your Kriyash Malamita, the 60 soldiers uh, guarding his bed, one shot at least, is their, he's guarding, guarding uh, Shlomo from Ashmedai. Um, in the end, there's a machlokis. Does Shlomo reach his former grandeur? It seems everybody 
Um, I used to say this incorrectly, I misunderstood the Gemara, but it seems on a rereading of the Gemara that um, Shlomo does regain his this-worldly greatness and he becomes ruler over this world. The Machlokas is whether he regains uh, authority over the upper world. Some say but yes, some that, say no. The, the 60 soldiers, the 60 warriors, did not show a lack oh. of faith in Hashem. Uh, no, no, allows a, a person, especially a person with sin, if, if you have no sin, then for sure. But a person with sin is reasonably allowed to take, take precautions because he may have problems in this world. Yeah. Um, so does Kriya Shema, like, let's say Kriya Shema, does it like, give you protection by success soldiers? Or? Something along those lines. You know we say Kriya Shema every night. Part of the reason for Kriya Shema Lamita is those psukim are protected. When a person goes to sleep, whether you realize it or not, we actually are in danger. We're in mortal danger, and we, on some level, because I'll tell us, we die every night and come back to life. Yeah. So the, the it's, it's, it's of, of immense importance. Uh, to say Kriyash Malamita with, 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 with a little bit of feeling. What? Oh, what? Yeah, 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 I'm sure it does. 60 is a significant number, as you with wholeness. Go look at the Gemara. Go look at the Maharal. If you want more on 60, I refer you to a Maharal, Maharal of Prague, and his commentary on the Gemara in Baba Metziah, Pedalad Amuveis. Uh, at the top of the page there, I'm not quite done, um, at the top of the page there, where uh, 60, he darshans it uh, very, very well, and I'm not going to right now. Wait, how long did uh, Shlomo live for? 40 years. That's it? From the, from the age of 12 to 52, he reigns, and then he dies. Oh, wow. I'm not quite done with Shlomo, because we're, I'm just, I just want to finish off this one piece for today, um, and talk about the Beis Mikdash briefly, and then I want to introduce very briefly the next phase in history, which I already mentioned, is a very consequential, significant phase, the split between the nation. Um, first, a comment about the Beis Mikdash. It's worthy of its own study. Um, I do this sometimes, I did a couple years ago, I did just a unit where we just, I brought in the ground, the floor plan of the base of Mikdash, and we just broke it up and studied every single detail that we could, uh, a great worthy thing. I'm not going to do that right now, but I'm going to mention a few things. The Mishnah Perkeados tells us there were 10 miracles performed daily for our, for, during this time, during the, first, during the lofty first temple period in the base of Mikdash, and I, I mention this just to give you a sense their times were times were not like our times. They led they led a different kind of a life. So just imagine as you as you. Part of the reason I'm giving these descriptions is that we should, Revolvi says this in the Alan Shore. We should not only experience history, we should envision it. We should imagine ourselves there so that it deepens our amuna. Because when you have a visceral, emotional kind of attachment and imagination that can conjure up what it was, you become it becomes part of you more. So you should try to do that. And listen to Birke Avos. No woman ever miscarried because of the smell of kochim. Yeah. They smelled it. It was an amazing smell. It would make a person uh, do all kinds of internal <coughs> spiritual somersaults. The smell of kochim, the holy meat being burned. And you'd imagine a pregnant woman who herself is what's called a, she's she's, in, she's a kona. She's an endangered sick person, but she never, even with all the emotion of smelling the kochim, she never miscarried. The kudshim, for their part, the Mishnah goes on, never spoiled. There were never any flies in the slaughterhouse. Meaning, in other words, even all of, even the um, small creatures in Hashem's universe were all, as it were, uh, cooperative. 
in helping the avodah Beis Hamikdash, none of them would want to ruin it by uh, by, uh, by by making it uh, unkosher. Didn't the smoke go straight up? Uh, where you're ahead of me. The Kohen Gadol, at least in the first temple period, yeah. never had a nocturnal emission. <coughs> we call Kerry on Yom Kippur. Ashmedai. Yeah. Uh, rain fell, but miraculously the rain never put out the fire on the altar on the Mizbeach. The wind never disturbed, as you just said. The wind, the Amura Eish, the pillar of fire, went up in a straight line, and wind never blew it away. Didn't, um, they, didn't the fire actually come down and consume the? That was a separate story. Separate story. This, these are the particular miracles, just to give you a, thick, a you know, a picture of of, of the grandeur of the Beis Hamikdash. It was not like anything, anything that we could really conceive of. Um, they in all the uh, the korban omer, which is the wheat offering in the Aram Pesach time, they never found discovered anything that was disqualifying, nor in the shteh lechem, the two breads that are offered on uh, on Shavuos, nor in the lechem uponim, the twelve showbreads. When people gathered for aliyah l'regel, all the nation came. And imagine this, Jewish people. Yeah, anybody involved in the Shabbos experience? Uh, not the Shabbos, the Shabbos project. Yeah. I'm talking about yeah. South Africa, and now it's spreading around the world. It just happened yesterday. It just happened, happened on Shabbos, right? So they're, they're trying. They're, 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 they're working on is a fantastic project. The, the idea. I, I, I have very good friends. I have very good friends from Johannesburg in South Africa who were describing the, the feeling on that on Abdullah in the ball in the ball stadium. <laughs> And they said, with all those Jews together, you know, we say a bracha when, we, when we're together with 600,000 Jews, there's something utterly, utterly transformative about the idea. I'm just talking about the Shabbos project, Eden. I'm just talking about the Shabbos project now because it's relevant. Actually, actually Eden didn't make it up. He, he, he suggested the rabbi. And then the rabbi, the rabbi flew it. Oh, you did. That's even bigger. But I'm just trying to get you, I'm trying to get you into the mindset to imagine that, the, the, you know, just like, were you there? Were you there in the in, the, in the, that for that Abdallah? Yeah. How many Jews were there? Five thousand. Five thousand. I mean, was it, was it exciting, thrilling? Yeah, it I mean, it was amazing. You this, feel like you're part of something. Though. This year it was raining, and everyone. Now, Russia's holiday. Pictures of the women taking challah, being matrish challah. In Manchester, they had two thousand. Who cares about the rain? Rain all away. It's all my clothes are dry later. All of them stayed for like the Abdallah. So that's what I'm trying to have. Imagine what it was. This is just a, a fraction of a, of a glimpse of what it was to be in the base of Mikdash where all the Jews, remember this is the last time in history that we have unity. You have the Shif Tekah, the 12 tribes of Israel gathering and rallying around the Kodesh Baruch Hu and celebrating Kodesh Baruch Hu, learning Torah on the highest possible level. Uh, the crowd stood together in the base of Mikdash, which today I think the estimate is can hold that area that we call the Temple Mount can hold some 250,000 people, but it's a bit cramped at that. Well, the same number can gather in the, in the base of Mikdash, and somehow when it was time to bow down, as we all bowed down in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur for parts of the Avoda, they had plenty of room to bow down, miraculously. They, they, that there, was the nature of the time, yeah. When you dabbled it, there's a certain amount of space that you meant to have. That's right. That's how it That's how, and Hashem just made it all work. No snake nor scorpion caused injury in Yushalayim. No person ever said, oh, you know, it's too crowded here in Jerusalem. Everything simply oh, worked harmoniously. We were literally like the Malachi Asharis, and that's all coming crashing to an end because of our sins. Yeah, and there would always be space for them, too, whenever... Uh, 
when they changed the pilgrimage festivals, they always hit space. They always hit space. That's what it meant today. Yeah, like uh, and stuff. One of the facets you should know about, I think it comes up, we've mentioned it before, that um, we there are 24 groups of Kohanim called Mishmaros. They do the Avoda. Uh, names include some of the famous names, Yehoyori, Yehoyada, and there are others. Um, originally, Moshe had eight of them. Shmuel elaborated to 16. David has 24. Um, they'll change in the early Second Temple period, but that's that's the that's the situation as we find ourselves. And now I'm going to introduce just just so we set the stage for tomorrow. I'm going to introduce one of the bad guys of history, the first of the three kings that doesn't have a portion of the world to come. His name is Yeravam Ben Nevat. So just he was a minister in Shlomo's court. He was an immense Talmud Chacham. And what did him in, and we learn from these people, you know, we're not supposed to just say, oh, the bad guys. No, we're supposed to learn from them. What was his mida that we're supposed to learn from that we should not have? He was power hungry. He wanted more than anything to be the king. But you got a problem. Once you have base David, there's nobody who's fit to be king, unless somebody from the house of David. And he wanted that more than more than any other thing in the world. The Amedrish tells us, Yeravim Shakul ke Achia Shiloni. He was on the highest level, like the prophet of this day, a figure by the name of Achia, who was the next step in the Messiah. He was the leading sage of his generation, and and Yeravim was on that level. It's a bit like the person who wants to become Kain. What's that? It's a bit like what's his name who wants to become Kain God. Um, oh, you're thinking of Uziahu? Yeah. Uh, no. He's thinking Doeg. Doeg also was powerful. Yeah. We see it's a quality. You can understand great people. Anybody work on staff at a camp? You ever had power struggles with anybody? Oh, no, this yeah. is the way it should be. You can see it. Staff, and and yeah. you know what's, you know what's the problem? Especially if you're talented. If you're good at it, you have a certain vision. You feel this is the way it should be, you know? So that was your own home. Remember with Doeg? Doeg also had this quality. Very good. Good connection. Doeg said, no, David, your slime shouldn't be there. It should be there. He had a different vision, and he felt legitimate. He said, you know, said, I think my insight should work. And on some level, I think he was motivated to shame Shemaim, but he was off. He was distorted, and he wanted the power for power's sake. I was thinking the person wanted to, uh, it was relational relation to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he wanted to... Korach. Korach. Korach also su suffers from this. But we see, I mean, nothing nothing less... How high a level did Yeravam Lantara, he and Achia Hashiloni, they were the they were the Gdole Hador, they used to sit around not just learning Torah, they darshan what we call the Maiset Merkava, the divine chair yourself. If you know if you don't know that expression, fasten your seatbelts, we've got a lot to say about this. That is the ultimate sublime image of Kadesh Baruch Hu's heavenly throne. And they darshaned it. And, and and when that happens, usually fire comes down and consumes everything in its midst. Uh, it, it's the ultimate, and only the top level Tamil Chacham could do that, and Yeravim could do that. So we have to know then what kind of damage, you know, you're, 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 in, you're in a position in power, you have a, you have a position of authority and influence in the Jewish people. How can you use that position? Yeravim, we'll see, uh, uses it for tragedy, for, for terrible, terrible series of events that are going to unfold. I mean, I have to say, Sometimes the negative stories are the best stories because they're really fun and interesting. Uh, we got, I've got a bunch of those under under uh, underway for us, uh, but they're tragic, and that's that's our next phase in history. Can you turn this off? How do we have me as here? Remember, I'm like the Oprah.